So uh, someone in uh, one of the small groups that I'm part of uh, shared recently that his sister had just lost a spouse. And this person who told us that is, a, is a, actually a very caring and empathetic person, but he shared something that I think maybe many of us experience. He said, I'd like to be able to be there for her, my sister, but I, I don't know where to start. I don't wanna do something that makes it worse. I feel kind of stuck. So our, our reading today says, uh, we who are consoled can pass the consolation we have experienced to others. Um, and the translators, they have trouble with that word that's translated console. Um, comfort is probably a more common translation, but the word in the Greek is more literally uh, near calling. So, so the core of it is connection, not like make it better, which I think takes some of the pressure off as we think about this subject. At any rate, uh, those in our group who had lost close loved ones shared how they experienced support from others after that loss, and it, it seemed like it was helpful. So surely our increased isolation over this past year has been really tough on those who are grieving. So, you know, anything we can do, even small things to support people in our various communities that we're part of here at Blue Ocean, our families, our workplaces, and maybe it's needed now more than ever. First, first a word about um, that initial powerless feeling that we have, that, oh no, what do I do feeling when you learn that someone you know has lost a loved one. Um, I think even, even people who are really good at this sort of thing have that feeling. Um, death just has that effect on us when we first hear about it. Death is stupefying. In, in traditional cultures like ancient Judaism, um, the initial responses express that, the ritual responses, like tearing a garment, uh, which is something I think is, is practiced uh, to this day, or sitting down and throwing dust on your head. It was a ritual way of saying, this is beyond me, I'm stupefied. I mean, there are stupid things we can do at first, like like an hour after my wife died, literally someone I barely knew walked into the house unannounced and said, I heard what's going on, what can I do? I was like, I'm sorry, can you leave? Uh, most of us know not to do that. Um, in the earliest days, the people closest to a grieving person are the ones best suited to support, you know, duh. I, I was in a grief group after my dad died in 1999, many years ago. I went once a month. I, I loved that group. And I noticed that people really enjoyed telling stories about the stupid things people do or say. It, I think it's like comic relief for the bereaved to share these stories. But if we can just avoid barging into someone's house who we barely know and say, what can I do to help? And if we could avoid saying, God must have a purpose, or she's in a better place, or aren't you over it yet, then I think most of us are gonna be in the clear for doing stupid things. With that caveat, the fear of doing something stupid, I think is much greater than the reality of doing something stupid. So most bereaved people um, that I've known feel more weak, they feel more vulnerable, sometimes fragile, for weeks, months, or years, depending on the loss and their connection to the person. And, and in that experience, though, they also feel um, 
it's like a shift happens in your perception of what is really the source of your core strength. Um, you know, we tend to think of the source of our strength as being like our personal individual traits. I'm, a, I'm emotionally stable or I'm, I have good social skills or I can do this, that or the other. Or I have these resources. But when you're grieving and you feel that weakness and vulnerability so vividly, you kind of realize it dawns on you that how much of your strength is really a function of your connections to other people. And it's almost like you feel the web of your connections like a like a net um, holding you up. So while we're feeling inadequate to support someone who is grieving, it really helps to remember that the simple gestures really do matter. Um, you know how people send uh, sympathy cards uh, after someone dies? I used to super underappreciate sympathy cards. Um, like the artwork, oh my gosh, or the, the lame sayings, I'd be all like focused on that stuff. And yet, surprise, I loved receiving sympathy cards. And the artwork of the words inside really didn't matter that much to me. The cards themselves were the physical gesture. Someone picked out the cards, someone dug up my address, someone found where the stamps were kept, someone signed it, dropped it in the mail. I also, by the way, didn't notice who didn't send me a card that the, the loss, of course, had my full attention, not, you know, who did what in response. You know, when people um, hear even years later that you lost a close loved one and they say, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. I mean, that still warms my heart when I when I hear that this past week, uh, I think I've made two calls to call centers. Uh, I made one to apply for Social Security benefits, um, which I'm, I'm eligible for at the beginning of next year. And the other, I think, to some like a financial institution. And in each case, as I was talking to the person in the call center, I was asked a question to which I needed to respond. Yes, that was my first uh, wife. She died. And each time the person at the call center said, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, both times it blessed me. Uh, the kindness of strangers, you know, whatever divides us, the fact that we lose loved ones unites us. So gestures matter. Thank God we don't have to all be trained grief counselors to make a difference in people's lives. So here's, here's something our Jewish friends can teach us, uh, the value in recognizing the death anniversary called the Yartzeit. Uh, it's a Yiddish word. Yar is Y-A-H-R. That means year in Yiddish, and Zeit, Z-I-E-T, means time. So a time of the year, an anniversary, Yartzeit. So how, how to um, observe a Yartzeit in this more traditional way? Uh, the, the main thing you do is light a candle. Um, you can buy Yartzeit candles. And, and uh, you know, keeping them lit through the day is kind of the is the is the ritual i do that for my mom on january 30th my dad uh, early in august i always forget the actual day but i look it up when it's coming my late wife uh october 14th and phyllis phyllis tickle a dear friend september 22nd i i you can see i buy yardsite candles in bulk um i usually try to get a picture of the of the person bring it out light the candle leave it burning through the day 
blow it out before I go to bed. Candles in many traditions, including ours, represent a person's life. Uh, you know, Elton John, Candle and the Wind at Princess Diana's funeral. They also um, often represent a prayer or divine presence. Just like Buddhists have prayer wheels that spin in the breeze as a form of prayer, uh, lighting a candle and burning it through the day as a form of prayer. The, the what's it called, the menorah, the lampstand in the inner court of the temple um, signifies all this. So when a friend loses a loved one, um, you can put the date in your calendar of the death anniversary for the coming year to remember to mention it or light, light a candle in your own home and let your friend know that you're doing so or send them a remembrance note or, or a text. It's a, it's a really um, lovely thing to do. Even if a person isn't uh, consciously aware of the death anniversary, um, very commonly the body remembers. This is, this is the phenomenon that helped me to realize how important the, the yard site, the death anniversary really is. I'll, you know, I'll not notice, notice it's a, a yard site of one of my, you know, deceased loved ones, partly because I'm not always carefully tuned into the calendar date. So like it's, uh, when, I, when I read the date, it's always a, a bit of a mild surprise to me, like, oh, it's the 29th of August already. Um, in my defense, I'm almost always aware of the particular day of the week. It's the number in the calendar that is uh, usually surprising to me. But uh, even when I'm momentarily oblivious of the date on the calendar, uh, inevitably my body reminds me. Um, I feel a little funky on that day or the day before, and I can't pick out a reason why. Then I check my calendar and realize, oh, this is my father's yard site. Uh, and, you know, this is still happening 30 years after he died. Uh, the body still remembers. Two more things you already know, but maybe worth remembering. Um, it's almost a truism now, but mourning lasts longer than most non-mourners estimate. You know, if you look at the bereavement policies uh, of companies, uh, you lose an immediate family member, uh, the small business, uh, HR website recommends uh, three paid days off. That, that's like if you're lucky and on the website, they're justifying like why it's a good idea to give your employees who've lost an immediate loved one three days off paid. Um, most of us are pretty aware of a friend's loss for a month or two, but then it fades. Uh, conventional wisdom maybe 40 years ago was that people cycle through stages of grief in a particular sequence, and it takes like roughly a year to go through the five stages of grief. And now we know there aren't predictable stages of grief that people go through in a particular sequence over a certain time frame. Um, now they think the process of you know recovering from a loss is really a matter of just laying positive experiences on top of the pain of, of losing a loved one. So the pain of the loss is always in the foreground, but um, at, you know at, at the beginning, but it remains in the background. But then over time, and but then it can pop into the foreground from time to time. I had to uh, check online: foreground is near, background is far. That means 
Loving our friends who suffered a death in the family isn't all about the immediate response. That's that's just helpful to remember. It's, it's a community responsibility supporting the grieving. Some of us may be good at the in the early innings. Some of us may be better, you know, later in the in the uh, time span. Like we're talking about years later. So yeah, you know, do what you're good at. Last thing. Um, it's just the value of mentioning or sharing memories of the person who died. So one of the most distressing things for a bereaved person in the early phase of grief, and it's, it's kind of frequent, um, common, it's there's a moment comes when they can't easily picture the loved one's face. And it's like, uh, oh my God, you know, it's like, am I forgetting them? especially when a death is sudden or traumatic, the brain kind of gets jangled and memories of the loved one actually can be difficult to access at that, at that um, period of time. And um, that's very distressing to someone who's um, bereaved. A key task of mourning, they say, is transitioning from a relationship in space and time, a flesh blood interaction to a relationship with the deceased in the realm of memory. So most bereaved people really appreciate when their loved one is mentioned, uh, remembered by others. Memories are stored in the community. They're kept alive in the community as well as in the individual. And that's the value in the Feast of All Saints. We, we usually observe that here at Blue Ocean around Halloween, uh, remembering together those who have passed on. So let's close with this on the on the way to communion this morning. Um, in, in the modern Western world, we tend to think of memory as simply a mental activity. We kind of imagine memory as like, you know, like when the thing happens, our brain takes a photograph and to remember it is to look at the event like we look at a photograph um, that we took in the past. So in Jewish understanding, um, and I think this is more true of traditional cultures in general, um, Memory can be much more than that. Uh, memory can be a participation in the event remembered. So the words of the Seder meal, the celebration of the Passover that our Jewish friends um, observe are, are spoken um, as though the participants in the Seder are going through the original Passover event along with their ancestors. It's memory as a participation in the event remembered. Uh, the instructions found in 1 Corinthians uh, by Paul, who, who was a Torah observant Jew, um, uh, for communion, a, a, a celebration, a meal that's kind of um, roughly uh, connected to the Seder theologically, um, includes memory. Do this in remembrance of me. I think that's included in words that we use in the uh, communion celebration but also participation. A little bit later in that same portion in 1 Corinthians, it says the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So memory as participation in the event. All this is related to an ancient understanding of reality expressed in uh, the first line of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, in the beginning, God. These words are written out of the intuition, out of the experience that understands space and time, the world, the universe, as an artifact. 
uh, nestled in something beyond space and time. So there's another where connected to this somewhere. Uh, for you science nerds, I lifted a little book on the physics that corresponds to this is called The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli. Carlo Rovelli, The Order of Time. I think last name spelled R-O-V-E-L-L-I. Um, just to give you a taste, one of the chapters in The Order of Time is titled Time is Ignorance. So if that is the case, then surely to remember our departed loved ones who bear the image of God, who are held in the mind of God, in the presence of God, the nest in which space-time is nestled, is this sacred sense of memory as a participation in the event, or in this case, the person remembered. The remembered one is, is present to us in the act of remembering. It's like having a really blessed dream of of the loved one who's departed i i had one about my um dad recently uh, it was so much more than a memory uh, i can't help but think in the dream that he was really present with me like he really does exist in a realm uh, that's beyond but connected to this one that's what the experience was like that was a wonderful dream I, I actually waited 32 years to have. So, man, I wish I had those dreams more often. But in a similar way, memories can convey a person's presence. So memory is a faculty of love. It's, of course, not the only one. Those who lose memory are still capable of feeling love. But our love for our loved ones, uh, living and passed on, happens in the realm of memory. Is it possible to fall in love with someone without thinking about them a lot when they aren't physically present? Don't, don't think so. So that's enough for now. Time for Diane to lead us in a meditation as we move toward our candle lighting, our prayer for loved ones, and for communion. Go ahead, Diane. All right. Well, sit comfortably with your feet touching something solid. Begin to notice the rhythm of your breath as you breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. As we breathe deeply, we notice the slowing down of our breathing, our heart rate and our blood pressure, allowing us to be fully here in this present moment. Now, as you are sitting and breathing, close your eyes and imagine, imagine a friend going through a difficult experience. It doesn't need to be the most difficult experience, just something moderately difficult so you can practice. Sometimes we might feel inadequate to console someone and be distracted when we're trying to think what to do. But just try to stay with the feeling, breathing deeply through your nose and out through your mouth.
with a compassionate curiosity, turn toward your experience in your body and see how your body is feeling. Are you tense in some areas? Just notice what is there and keep breathing. Now invite your awareness to a large figure of compassion and strength that envelops you and your friend in a blanket of love, acceptance, and security. It could be God or creator or divine or anyone or anything that feels loving and kind. Imagine this figure holding both of you. Feel this being of compassion speaking kindly to you and to your friend, helping you know to what to communicate to them. It will be okay. You are enough. You are not alone. We'll all get through this together. I understand your feelings. Let yourself offer and receive loving and kind statements as many times as you need until your mind and body can soothe and slow down. Check with your friend and see if there's anything else they need to hear to feel really supported right now. Check with your own body and see how you are feeling. Is there peace? Is there acceptance? When you are ready, thank this figure of support and feel yourself, your mind and your body realigned. Check with your friend, see if they're feeling centered. When you're ready, start to notice your feet making contact with the floor and the weight of your body on the chair. Open your eyes and allow yourself to slowly transition back to your day.